It's worth knowing what's really going on. This is the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Donald Trump has been indicted in Atlanta. We have so many court dockets to follow, but we haven't really seen anything yet. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution has covered every moment of this historic case. I've been writing about this investigation for two and a half years. Our team is led by reporters Bill Rankin and Tamar Hallerman. Follow our coverage on AJC.com and listen to new in-depth episodes of the award-winning podcast, Breakdown, the Trump Indictment, only from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. You all can learn something new by subscribing to the Atlanta Journal-Constitution's new newsletter called Unapologetically ATL. It's all about the people, the events, and the entertainment happening in Metro Atlanta that Black people might want to know about. So subscribe today at www.ajc.com slash unapologetically ATL. This, my friends, is Access Atlanta. It's a new podcast that shares the best things to do, see, eat, and experience. Welcome to Access Atlanta. I'm your host, Shane Harrison, and this week I have quite a treat. We're going to be talking about the Oscars, and with me I have Felicia Feaster, who is one of our freelance writers. She's an art critic. You've probably seen her byline on all of our art reviews, and she's also the co-founder of the Atlanta Film Critics Circle. Welcome. Thank you. Thanks, Shane. And uh, also we have with her her son, Addison, who is a budding filmmaker. Great to be here. Thank you. So we're going to talk all about uh, the Oscars and uh, what to expect and uh, the films that have come out, the films that are nominated, um, and uh, we'll just uh, get right into that. What What did you want to start with? I mean, I think we can start with the most popular category, I right. think, for a lot of people, which, which is uh, best picture. Right. There are nine films in contention for best picture this year. I actually think this has been a really great year for film. Yeah. And I, I don't think there are any uh, losers in the mix. Yeah. There are some that I, ha- I feel are more likely to win than others. Right. But so it's Ford versus Ferrari, The Irishman, Jojo Rabbit, Joker, Little Women, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, Marriage Story, Parasite, and 1917. Right. So a big range of films from historical epics to a Korean film about class conflict in right. contemporary Seoul. And The Irishman, a Martin Scorsese mobster film, three mm-hmm. hours long. So it's yes. it's a, quite a mix. Yeah, yeah, and that's and, and the interesting thing about that is I, I was um, uh, noticing. You know, I haven't seen a lot of them, and I was thinking, well, how can I see them? And, and a lot of them you can actually see streaming right in your home now. That's true. You can watch The Irishman on Netflix. Yep. I think it makes it a little bit easier to you know hunker down for a three-hour movie when you can take some breaks for a coffee or a cocktail or whatever you need to get you through. Um, And yeah, quite a few of these films are still in theaters, like Little Women, so people can have some time to check them out before they were Right. Right. So... So what what are are your favorites? What what would you like to see win, and what what do you think will win? I would love for Little Women to win. I adore this film. It is... The sixth version, sixth film version of Little Women um, for the screen. It was directed by Greta Gerwig, follow-up to Lady Bird. And, 
you know, it's hard to take a classic story and make it new and make it fresh, but I feel like Greta Gerwig really does that. She brings a contemporary resonance to the film. It's obviously the story of these sisters in uh, 19th century Massachusetts Mm -hmm. and their struggles, but Greta Gerwig brings this incredible kind of feminist message to the film about how difficult it was for women of that time to achieve anything beyond marriage. Their highest aspiration was meant to be marriage, a good marriage, a marriage to a man with money. And Joe March, played by Saoirse Ronan, who's the central character in the film and sort of a stand-in for Louisa May Alcott, is struggling to be a writer and to defy this convention that women are are only meant to be uh, wives. So it has a great message about the limitations for women um, and the the class divisions that that keep women from achieving anything beyond their ranks on their own. You know, um, Meryl Streep plays um, Joe March's aunt. She's quite a snobby and comical character. And at one point she says, well, women really have two options. They can run a cat house or <laughs> they can go on the stage. Virtually the same thing. Right. So, yeah, yeah I would love it if if Little Women won. However, I'm not sure it will. Yeah. So what about you, Addison? What do you think? What, what, what would you like to see win? I think I'm a bit more discriminating in my taste. You said all of them are good. Typically, I think most are bad. This year, I think... <laughs> Less are bad than usual, but there's still some bad ones. Um, The one that I really want to win is Parasite. I would be indifferent to happy if Joker, Little Women, Once Upon a Time, Marriage Story, or 1917 won. But to me, Parasite should win. It probably won't because I think it should win. Um, Moonlight has been the one time this decade that I really feel like that deserved the prize and it did. Um, and kind of for the same reason as Parasite, because it shouldn't win Best Picture. It is not the type of film to be nominated. It's not the type of film to win. Therefore, I want it to win because I want the Korean relatively independent compared to a lot of these, um, relatively low budget compared to, uh, you know, an war epic, a Scorsese three and a half hour epic and a DC film to win. So to me, because it kind of defies all the norms and the um just the typical style of an oscar winner i think it's the most deserving of the lot um and that's not to say that you know if it hadn't been nominated it wouldn't be one of my favorite films of the year it is um i think bong joon ho is i think this may be his best film yet um i like that he's going back to Korea to do his films because he has done some recent English language films like Okja and Snowpiercer, which I feel like kind of defied um, my expectations, but not necessarily in the way that I wanted Bong Joon-ho to do so. So I think that this is a great return to form um, for him. And I think that he kind of represents a new, newer generation of auteurs among a crowded field of older generation of auteurs. Yeah. Well, and the thing is, it, it it seems to me that it it's chances may have gotten a little better. They just won the SAG award for the the cast, right? Uh, the ensemble cast thing. So, I mean, that could bode well for it. And it, I mean, it seems to be among the favorites anyway, um, which is kind of surprising. 
Yeah, I agree with everything Addison is saying, and I would not be sad if Parasite won Best right. Picture because it is an incredible film, and it's very unusual for... This is a film that kind of amazed me this year. Every single person I spoke to, whether they were a diehard cineast film fan or just you know someone who doesn't necessarily check out every art house film with subtitles, loved it across the board. Yeah. And I think it's a really interesting phenomenon that it's reached so such a new audience. And I attribute some of that to Netflix. I feel like Netflix, because it's gotten so many unusual, independent art house films into people's living room, it's given mm-hmm. them a certain comfort level with foreign films yeah. and subtitled films. So I do think that it's done some positive things um, for cinema in general. And Parasite, certainly it's such a topical film in terms of dealing with class struggle, this um, really lower income family living in a basement and how the storyline goes, they infiltrate this upper class soul family in a very grifter style fashion. And it's really much, it's about class struggle there in Korea, but I think it's certainly relatable. We're all watching this, you know, huge divide open up between the haves and the have-nots. So I think it has a lot of resonance for audiences. Yeah. So what do you think is going to win? You know, I I feel like it's possible that Sam Mendes' 1917 World War One epic could win. Yeah, and that feels like an Oscar-winning film. It's something about it just has that, <clears throat> I don't know. Well, I guess it's the innovative filming techniques and things like that, and, and Oscar loves that. And he, you know, he won Best Director at the Golden Globes, mm-hmm. and I think that bodes well in some way um, for him possibly winning Best Picture. I think people see a very large budget uh, war film and the the money is there. The The actors are great. George McKay, who's the kind of lead actor, who I'm a little disappointed wasn't nominated for um, a actor um, award. He's just really incredible as one of two um, infantrymen who go into the French um, landscape to basically stop the Germans from completely decimating a British unit. The British unit is about to attack, and it's actually a trap laid by the Germans. So he and his comrade have to um, intervene and stop the attack before it happens. So it's this incredible... um, opus about an impossible mission and how that happens. And it's very much about the particular kind of warfare that was fought in World War One in the trenches. So a lot of it is these characters winding their way through this unbelievable labyrinth of, of trenches. And then once they get onto, you know, the, the French landscape, how terrifying that is because they're suddenly exposed mm-hmm. and open. And it's just, a, I mean, it's a, it's a very well-crafted film, right. but I honestly would be disappointed if it won because it there are so many great um, contenders in this right. category this year that I think are so much better deserving. Right. You, you, would you agree with that? Do you think that? I think that it is the kind of pinnacle of Oscar choice. The first Best Picture winner was Wings, which is right. a World War One epic with innovative cinematography. Yeah. So this is something that they've been, um, you know, the Oscars have been to the, you know, to their core since the beginning. Um, and I think for that reason, it may not win. 
Um, although the PGAs um, did select it as the best film, and they do typically predict the winner for best picture, yeah. not every time this decade, um, La La Land being a notable exception. And I think that 1917 has a La La Land factor of being, of course this is going to win best picture, because yes. this is what the Academy wants. They want the epic sprawling like whoever wins them whoever has the most tracking shots in their film <laughs> is guaranteed a win for director so and I this think, one has that oh it sure, has yes so i think that for sure um mendez could win this i think that there is a possibility 1917 will win um my only reservation saying that being because it is so the winner it's not going to win because yeah. they know that we're all you know like they probably already engraved one oscar at least to have 1917 on it so i think for that and i know this is i guess my heart playing tricks on me i'll say parasite i think yeah. could potentially win it because yeah. it's the moonlight of this right. year being oh this film you know defies all typical expectations of what should win best picture um 1917's run a very Weinstein campaign of yeah. coming out like right before the <laughs> nominations, like just barely making that cutoff date and trying to just run it as like a last minute, like what's the average age of an Academy voter? Just like, let's keep it to the very end so they'll remember it. And like, that's the one film that they're like, what did I see last night? Oh yeah. And write it in on their list. But I think that Parasite is running the long game, like it's the marathon um, contender this year because it came out far before a lot of these right. um, with, you know, the exception of Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, which came out before that mm -hmm. um, and Joker. But I just think that Parasite's kind of in for the long haul, whereas 1917, you know, might be this kind of bright star that burns out, you know, within a week. Because it seems like it's only been out for like what, five minutes. Yeah, it's yeah. The others have been have been around a lot longer, I guess. But 1917 does feel it just feels like an Oscar movie. You know, you can you, it just it screams Oscar, right? So. For sure, epic, sweeping about the horrors of war. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Indeed. Yeah. Well, on to other things. We uh, have lots more categories. So, so what uh, what to next? Well, Addison and I don't always agree on who we think is going to win, but I think uh, in terms of actress in a supporting role and actor in a supporting role, we're definitely on the same page. I think we're both um, excited about Laura Dern's performance in Marriage Story. Right. It's the Noah Baumbach film about a really lovely couple who've realized they aren't compatible. So they're getting divorced, but they have a young son. So they're trying to do an amiable, good divorce as opposed to a fraught horrific divorce and as the film proceeds it becomes more and more fraught right. and more and more horrific and part of that is Laura Dern's character she plays Scarlett Johansson's divorce divorce lawyer mm -hmm. and she is absolutely entrancing in this role she is a shark she's a Los Angeles divorce lawyer who knows her stuff and is going to fight tooth and nail to win her client you know what right. she what she needs but at the same time, she's very, very warm and very sensitive and 
opens herself up to the Scarlett Johansson character. She's very forthcoming and talks about her own struggles. And I just think she's a very nuanced kind of tough-as-nails businesswoman that we haven't necessarily always seen in Hollywood. Right. She's just very complex and, and interesting. And Laura Dern is 52. You know, it would be lovely to see an actor who's been in Hollywood doing a lot of different films, a lot of mainstream, but really tons of independent films mm-hmm. as well, win this award. And she did win um, the Best Actress um, or Best Supporting Actress um, Award at the Golden Globes. Yeah. I mean, she's definitely the favorite. I would say... This is one of those categories where if you're going to bet, I wouldn't bet on this category because she's such a lock. It's like, I don't know who else would be, who you would be betting on (laughs) other than her. She's, I think, guaranteed to win. Um, She won the SAG Award this year. She's someone who it seems like the Academy, like they they gave her a nomination um, for Rambling Rose in the the early 90s. And then apparently they forgot that she existed until Wild, and then finally nominated her again. So it seems like this is just someone like Julianne Moore a couple years ago who they are thinking, this has always been someone in an independent film. Why have they been totally, you know, overlooked by us? This is one of our Best Picture nominees this year. Let's give it to her. Yeah. And I just think that there's no other major contenders in this category. Um Interesting to note, I think that Scarlett Johansson got a nomination, um, and she'll have two nominations this year for supporting and leading. Um, And if they give her one of these, I think they will give it um, to Scarlett Johansson for leading. I'm not necessarily sure that will happen, but I do believe that if she wins one of those two, it's going to be lead. Yeah. Well, and it seems like the, the supporting categories are often a way for the, the Academy to recognize veteran actors who've been around for a very long time and maybe haven't gotten the recognition they deserve. And it feels like that's often the case with those categories. That's true. And I think Addison, when we were you know thinking about this podcast, made a really interesting point that the older you get in Hollywood as a woman, the less likely you are to be nominated right. for an acting award. Isn't that what you Yeah, but the reverse is true for men. So men, the yeah. more you age, the more likely you are to win. Hmm. So men, you know, like you should, it's totally fine to be like a Pesci or Pacino because your odds are going to go up this year versus being a Kathy Bates yeah. because their odds are basically nothing at this point. Like you know, Jessica Tandy, I think, is the only 80-year-old woman, 80-something woman to ever win an Oscar for an acting category. And huh. I think Emmanuel Riva for um, Amour might be the oldest to ever be nominated, yeah. although someone might have done that since. I'm not sure. And actually, I thought Joe Pesci was really great. He's been um, in The Irishman. He was um, nominated in the actor in a supporting role category. He was my favorite character in The Irishman, which is, Mm. of course, this mobster story with Robert De Niro in the lead as Frank Sheeran, a um, Buffalino crime family hitman, and his sort of relationship with Teamster President Jimmy Hoffa. And it's a based on fact story. And Robert De Niro was interesting, but I really thought Joe Pesci as this kind of crime boss stole the picture. But it's interesting De Niro wasn't nominated, right? It is interesting. And I really, I hate to say it, but I just feel like his role was kind of lackluster in Irishman. Mm. It just, 
yes, he was the main character, but he just seemed to be phoning it in. It just didn't have this like De Niro hustle and shine. That well, they, of- it's interesting though because I, I mean I've seen other people mention how they felt like he was you know much more subtle than he he can be, and and they admired that, but. Uh... I feel like it was the kind of role of everyone's talked about the CGI and how they use CGI to um, make the characters because it takes place over an enormous span of time Mm. to make them younger and then older. And it was very distracting to me and that it seemed like that was almost like a mask Robert De Niro was hiding behind this this sort of artifice of the special effects. So, yeah, I, I think Joe Pesci's great in it. However, I think everyone is kind of in agreement that... Brad Pitt in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, the Quentin Tarantino kind of alternative history about mm-hmm. um, Brad Pitt is a stuntman in kind of fading um, from prominence. And he's kind of the helpmate to Leonardo DiCaprio, who is an actor who's also fading in his career. So right. it's kind of like The Irishman. It's about aging. And it takes place in 1969 Hollywood, the kind of glory days. The whole film is bathed in this golden glow and it makes you know los angeles look like a paradise Mm -hmm. and it's sort of about these two an actor and a stuntman who are make-believe um kind of colliding with this true story of the manson family and um what happened in hollywood where they're concerned so it's brad pitt is just so easy and natural and fun to watch in his role as this kind of too cool for school um, stunt man, and I think we're kind of in agreement that he's probably going to walk away with this award. What I find interesting about this category is that every other nominee is a 1990s acting Oscar winner. Huh. All of them have won Oscars in the 90s, yeah. except Pitt has, I think, only won Oscars for like producing. He's never won an acting Oscar. Right. So this will mark the first time in which he'll win um, an acting Oscar. He will win this Oscar. I think that... Um, all our predictions here are definitely confirmed by the SAG Awards. He won at the SAG Awards. Mm-hmm. Um, this year, the acting categories, all four, seem pretty cut and dry. There doesn't seem to be any potential for upset. Yeah, The only upset I could see happening would be with Pesci, but because Pacino's there, I think they it'll be a little null and void, right. and yeah. Pitt will become the winner. I was surprised to see De Niro wasn't nominated. Um solely because they like to nominate you for one thing if you're in two Best Picture nominees. And because De Niro was in Joker and um, The Irishman, I thought they would nominate him for something because, you know, if you're in two, you must be a good actor. Right. Well, that that brings up another thing. It's like, was there anyone left out of... of Willem Dafoe. Willem Dafoe should have won this Oscar. Because it seems he, like Laura Dern, I don't think they knew existed for whatever reason mm-hmm. until like three minutes ago. Like the like he got one for Florida Project, he got yeah. one for Ed Eternity's Gate. Like he suddenly they're nominating him for this career that he's had. Um and I think that they didn't see the lighthouse. Because the lighthouse would have a lot more representation in these nominations if everyone had seen it. But I just think that it only got cinematography. Um, certainly, it, should, it deserved a screenplay nomination. I mean, I think it's one of the best films of the year. Yeah. I just think that maybe A24 
put their eggs in a different basket. I'm not entirely sure, but it seems like they just weren't super focused on getting the lighthouse nominated this year. Yeah, that was in the lighthouse was on my top 10 list um, this year. And yeah, I feel it was very much overlooked. I am glad, as Addison said, that it's been nominated for cinematography because it's gorgeous. It's a gorgeous homage to silent film, older films. And um, Willem Dafoe is just incredible. He talk about losing yourself in a role. He's a lighthouse keeper and he's been alone on the lighthouse a little too long. (laughs) (laughs) And he's, he's wonderful in that role. So I, I encourage people to check out the film. Um, and it's one of those kinds of sleepers of this year. And a lot of people probably haven't seen it. Right. And that's another one I think you can see in the comfort of your home now, I believe, if, if I'm not mistaken, I've been looking and, uh, trying to see all of these, but, uh, Failing at some, but <laughs> <laughs> it's hard to keep up with where really where is. you go these days to see a film. Do you go to the multiplex? Do yeah. you go to Netflix? It's mm-hmm. kind of a nice problem. Yeah. So on to uh, I guess uh, the acting category, the 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 uh, lead acting categories. So what do we think about those? I definitely have my favorites in actor in a leading role this year. Um, I believe that. Joaquin Phoenix will win this. It seems inevitable. Like I've said, all these categories seem very predictable this year with the SAG Awards. Um, Antonio Banderas should win, but he won't. Because again, I just don't think the Academy bothered to see Pain and Glory. Um, Almodovar is a, of the foreign language auteurs, he seems to be the one that they are most inclined to reward. Um, He's won a screenplay Oscar, which is incredibly rare for a foreign language script. But I just think that um, winning an Oscar for a foreign language role is next to impossible. Um, I believe Marion Cotillard is the last one to do that for Le'Veon Rose, but I'm not entirely sure. That sounds Um, right, yeah. But, you know, it's just something that it's his first nomination ever. Really? Which is insane to yeah, me. Yeah, I'm surprised. Um, but he totally deserves it. But I just think that Joaquin Phoenix gives such a crazy performance that I think Joker is one of those movies where if his performance had been off, it would have been so laughable and so cringy and embarrassing that it would have no consideration whatsoever. Like, I think the whole weight of that film falls entirely upon his shoulders. And if for one moment you don't believe the craziness, um, then you're just left with this totally, you know, you're left with the fanatic, the John Travolta film this year. (laughs) I agree with Addison. Um, I think he does really carry Joker. It's a pretty surprising film. I know it's very divisive, Mm -hmm. but I was kind of, Amazed by this film from Todd Phillips, who is best known for the Hangover movies. Right. Kind of a change of tone for him and a very dark, nihilistic uh, film. It's set in 1981, Gotham City. It's about Joker, who's an aspiring stand-up comic, but he is this absolute outcast and loser and kind of on the bottom of the the stack of humanity. And it's a very profound, I think, in some ways, portrait of 
what it looks and feels like to be an outsider. It's a completely different take on a DC comic film. And I I really enjoyed that dimension to it. I, he Todd Phillips brings in a lot of homage to Scorsese. There are a lot of references to Taxi Driver and to King of Comedy. Um, Robert De Niro stars uh, mm-hmm. or co-stars in the film as a character who's kind of based on um, his Rupert Pupkin character in um, King of Comedy. But I agree with Addison that Antonio Banderas in um, Pain and Glory, it's such a slow burn film. It's about getting older. It's about regret. He It's semi-autobiographical right. about Omadovar's own struggles with getting his films made when he's dealing with a lot of physical pain, a lot of maladies that are keeping him um, from living life to its fullest, and just the sense of looking back on his childhood with longing and some amount of regret. It's kind of a twin piece in some ways to The Irishman, which is also about older men looking back on their lives and contemplating um, what it all means. But I just think it's, it's, as Addison was saying, the showier um, performance is Joaquin Phoenix. So I think that tends to be what gets rewarded and the slow burn, more subtle performance like a Banderas is not always right. celebrated in the same way. So, yeah. so well, what about uh, the actress category? I mean, I would, because I am such a Little Women fan, I would love it if Saoirse Ronan won as Joe March mm-hmm. in that film. I just think she brings such passion and such eloquence to that role. Her struggle is real of, of trying desperately to tell her story, to be a writer um, in the very constrained society she's living in. And she gives this incredible, you know, she has this speech where she talks about women are more than just, you know, their marriages and their love lives. We have ambitions, we have hearts and souls, and it's just so incredibly moving. And I don't think she's gonna win. (laughs) (laughs) Because um, I actually think that uh, Renee Zellweger for Judy, her portrait of, Judy Garland. I mean, it's, again, like um, Joaquin Phoenix, it's a super showy role. And she brings a lot of pathos to it. I mean, Judy Garland in this film is a middle-aged, on-the-decline performer. She is exhausted to perform. You know, she has to go to London and do these nightly Mm -hmm. um, performances, captivate an audience that's maybe growing a little bit disenchanted and bored with her. And it's grueling. I've never seen a movie that conveys so well the the rigor of showbiz. Mm -hmm. Like, you have got to deliver every night, and the crowd is not forgiving. So if you don't bring it... You will be booed and you know ushered off the stage. So it's it's a good it's a great performance. Yeah. I I think it is a, a deserving performance to to get um, actress in a leading role. But is it my favorite of of the nominations? Maybe not. Yeah. This is the acting category. I said I was sure of everyone. This is the least sure I am about that. I'm still very sure that Renee Zellweger will win. Um, my only reservation being she's already won an Oscar for Cold right. Mountain. Um, I think that there is a possible spoiler among the bunch. Who that is, I'm not entirely sure because I think there is a fair argument for about everyone with maybe the exception of Cynthia Erivo, um, who is great, but I just think that Harriet's like 
what it got two nominations this and original song i just think it's such a small film and i just think that for the academy it was like a film that they didn't really you know pay any attention to so i just don't see it i don't see cynthia revo um winning an oscar but i i could see potential for someone else winning um last year we saw glenn close losing to olivia coleman um mm-hmm. who to the academy was a relative newcomer even though she's been around for quite some time and especially in the british television world um so i think that renee zellweger although it seems like she's totally for sure the winner i think that there is an argument to be made that shosha ronan could win or that um possibly Char- charlize theron could win I did say that this is the category where Scarlett Johansson would win if she wins an Oscar, mm-hmm. but Marriage Story had a kind of bizarre Oscar campaign, in yeah. my opinion, where it seems like the day it came out, they like Netflix just threw all the money they could at it and then just ran for the hills after because I <laughs> didn't see any. I think that Irishman was their film. I think yeah. the Irishman was the one that they're like, if one of ours wins it this year, because Roma should have won it last year, we're, you know, like we are pushing because clearly they like the three and a half hour epic crime. Like, you know, that's their, yeah, that's what the Academy's going to like more than a two and a half hour epic about a divorce. Right. So they probably probably felt like a Scorsese uh, rather than Baumbach too. I, you know, it's probably right. a, a better bet. Right. Know. The prestige director. Yeah. And I was actually yeah. really surprised to see that Baumbach wasn't nominated for director. Yeah. I thought that that would have he would get a director nomination. Um, and then I actually thought he might have won original screenplay, but it seems like there's no longer a chance of that happening for Baumbach. Mm-hmm. I just think that for whatever reason, Marriage Story maybe didn't have the greatest Oscar campaign because it seems like they didn't pay as much attention to it as I expected them to. Yeah. Well, that's interesting. It's like, we'll get to the director, but I wanted to ask also about what was, who might have been left out of the acting, the lead acting categories. We didn't get to that. Is there anybody? Florence Pugh in Midsummer. I think that her role in that's far better than her role in Little Women. Not to say her role in Little Women isn't good. It's great. I just think that she gave one of the best performances this year um, in Midsummer, And again, The Lighthouse. I think Robert Pattinson gave an amazing performance, but they didn't see it. So yeah. it's not, not going to get anywhere. And um, there are a lot of supporting actors in Pain and Glory who I feel like totally got overlooked um, I think that Penelope Cruz was fantastic mm-hmm. and sh- they just, I guess they saw Banderas's face on the poster and thought he was the only actor in the <laughs> film. Um, I thought she was wonderful, but again, it seems like that's just a, what, two nominated film. There are a lot of two nominated films up for the acting awards this year. I actually really love Jennifer Lopez in Hustlers, mm-hmm. and that was a major snub to me that she was not right. nominated um, in the acting category. I thought she brought real pathos and sensitivity, and 
incredible amount of humor to the role. It's sort of a strip club um, caper film yeah. about based on a, a, a real case um, written about by a New York Magazine writer of these uh, strippers at a high-end club in Manhattan who fleeced their Wall Street clients out of their money by drugging them and then, you know, taking them into private rooms for lap dances and basically running up their credit cards. Right. So it's it's a very Robin Hood sort of story <laughs> about yeah. these women from a lower stratum of society kind of getting their comeuppance on these Wall Street power players right. in the post-2008, you know, fallout from um, the economic downturn. So I just thought she was really made the film. It's And it's a really, um, in general, a film that I think should have gotten more attention this year. Um, Lorene Scafaria is the director, and I just think she brings a real kind of message to what you could write off as a, a kind of crazy, fun caper film, but has a lot of resonance about, again, class divide right. and people um, on Wall Street who basically walked away um, with very little consequence for the, you know, 2008 downturn mm -hmm. that impacted a lot of a lot of people. Right. People lost their homes. It was devastating for a lot of Americans and um, there wasn't a lot of payback. So this film in a way is saying, well, at least someone tried. <laughs> <laughs> and I was going to add on to that and say, um, I think that a film that really suffered from early in the year release was The Farewell. I right. think that Aquafina and um, the grandmother Zhao Shu Jen, I think, were totally overlooked for Oscars this year. Right. But the fact that I didn't immediately say that is my answer kind of proves that the earlier in the year your film is released, the less likely you're going to be considered. Yeah, come Oscar season. And Adam Sandler in Uncut Gems. Yeah, who you know they love the comedian turned serious actor, but apparently not enough to nominate him this year. I thought he was amazing. I thought that film was completely overlooked this year as well. And I'm just going to say George McKay again in 1917, mm -hmm. the lead actor. Um, I just thought he was incredible. I saw him in Captain Fantastic, the Viggo Mortensen film about a kind of off-the-grid family um, contending with um, re-entering society. And I thought he was standout in, as the oldest son in that film. But he was amazing in 1917. I mean, he has to carry the entire picture right. on his shoulders. <laughs> yeah. And he did a great job. So that was an oversight. I, I'm not sure why a, a newcomer who really, um, sh really shined in that role didn't get nominated. Yeah. Well, um, speaking of overlooked, um, let's go on to the best director category. Do you want to talk about that? I, of course, <laughs> have to talk about the fact that Greta Gerwig right. wasn't nominated in this category. If, I mean, it's speculative, but if Little Women had been directed by a man, I just feel like it's such a sweeping historical period piece with really profound sorts of um, emotions involved. It's it's about history, but it's also about the inner workings of this family, the life of these sisters and their mother. It It's an incredibly um, interesting story with a great cast of actors. And it just shows this kind of blind spot um, with the Academy that they, I just don't think they see films that are centered on women as as deserving as a film, you know, like The Irishman, centered on men and their lives and their struggles, you know, who who to take out next. I don't know what Robert De Niro's struggle is. You know. <laughs> um, but 
Yeah, so that to me was definitely an oversight. There were so many great female directors this year, as Addison mentioned, The Farewell. Um, I thought, while Booksmart probably isn't an Academy Award-winning film, I thought this this film, Olivia Wilde's directorial debut, was incredible. There's um, Portrait of a Lady on Fire by the French director Céline Sciamma, which was not, um, it won a screenwriting award at the Cannes Film Festival, but mm-hmm. it was not nominated in any categories for the Oscars, which is a huge oversight. And I thought Lorene Scafaria did a great job as the director of Hustlers. And right. and all of those women um, could have been, you know, nominated for director. But I just I just think it doesn't occur um, to the Academy to consider those kinds of films. And it's too bad. You know, you look at The Irishman, Martin Scorsese, Quentin Tarantino for Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, Bong Joon-ho for Parasite, Sam Mendes for 1917, and Todd Phillips for Joker. I mean, those are predominantly films that center on, you know, men and their stories. And yeah. I just think it's about time we, we give the other half of society a little voice. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so what do you think about that, Addison? I think I would make a terrible spokesperson for the Academy because <laughs> I was not surprised in the least. Um, and I wasn't disappointed because when your expectations are you know, the lowest they can be. You're not really surprised by anything. <laughs> yeah. Um, and you're never disappointed. So I wasn't surprised or disappointed that Gerwig wasn't nominated. Um, should she have been? Yes. I think Lu Wang probably was the best director this year. But again, no one saw The Farewell, or at least they saw it and forgot about it by the time that the Academy voted. Um, I just, this category to me is always very difficult to predict because the stuff I like doesn't get nominated for this award ever ever so i just think that this year i couldn't tell you who's gonna win talk to me after the 27th when the dgas happen right i will confirm the winner because that will guarantee a win like almost every time like i believe that the dgas are the most accurate when it comes to the guild awards and then the oscars especially in the last decade i'm not sure they've gotten a single one incorrect with maybe the exception of Argo, um, Affleck won the Director's mm-hmm. Guild Award and wasn't even nominated for an Oscar. Um, my heart says Bong Joon-ho because he directed the best of the uh, films up for director, but I believe there is a fair argument for any of these people winning. The one exception with the um, Director's Guild Award this year being that Todd Phillips wasn't nominated there taika watiti was for jojo rabbit yeah so but i think there's an equal chance of todd phillips winning at the oscars um as taika watiti is at the uh director's guild award to say they have almost no chance of winning right. compared to the <laughs> these others um scorsese and mendez both have best director oscars right. already um tarantino has two original screenplay oscars um Bong Joon-ho has nothing from the Academy. I think that if Bong Joon-ho wins for this, I think it will also win original screenplay, and I think it might win picture. And I think if Tarantino wins this, Tarantino will win original screenplay and picture. I actually don't think there will be a split this year necessarily. Um, With the new Oscar ballot system, this preferential ballot for best picture, where you rank each film instead of just oh, right. you know yeah. circling your favorite one, there has been a tendency to split. Um, I think there have been more splits this decade than there have been 
you know, the before what, whenever they introduced this ballot system, uh, it used to be if you win director, you win picture. Yeah. Like almost universally. So it seems like they've gotten away from that model. This year, I don't think they'll get away from that model, especially because all the major films this year um, are very career-seeming films. Last year, Green Book was not a career film in the least. Green Book won on the film Green Book. It didn't win on, you know, Fairley's career. Right. It was solely on they liked that film um, and Quaron won because he directed the best film that was nominated last year. But, you know, there's no justice in this world. <laughs> I try not to bet um, on the Oscars because I inevitably lose. I don't want to put any money down. Yeah, please, but... please don't send me angry mail if I've gotten, you know, if you bet the kids college fund, like, that's not my fault. Sorry. <laughs> Well, I think people who love film, their vision is clouded by what they feel has yeah. the most merit. And it's so hard to bank on something that you feel like doesn't, you know, merit the award. I do think, you know, Sam Mendes is likely to win in this category. Yeah. He won Best Director at the Golden Globes. I wouldn't be as depressed as I would be, you know, if something I was pretty depressed about Green Book, as Addison mentioned, um, I was pretty depressed about that yeah. film winning. I thought it was a very mediocre film. 1917 isn't a mediocre film. I just it wasn't as captivating to me. Mendez winning. If Mendez wins, the person who I would call to console is Christopher Nolan, because to me, 1917 was like just a cheap version of Dunkirk. Like it uh. seemed to have none of the. um emotional resonance that dunkirk had i just think it was this kind of shell of a epic war film and it wasn't actually a proper epic war film at least in my mind interesting to note that tarantino said that dunkirk is probably his second favorite film of the decade i just think 1917 is also kind of a it should be the winner like 10 years ago and i don't know if it still should be the winner now I think they are getting away from the war model of film winning best picture, but I might be wrong. We've not had one this decade and maybe it's time. Yeah. Well, it's also, I think a lot of people think about 1917 as this technical achievement of some sort. It's like, right. It's probably going to win some of the, you know, it'll win the technical awards. Yeah. And I think that with the technical achievement thing comes the director Oscar, like the, like I said, you know, how many tracking shots can you fit into a film? Okay, you have your best director nominee. Like, you have your best director winner. Quaron did that. Um, Damien Chazelle did that. I just think that that's the model that they're going for, and that's why it keeps splitting, is because they're giving it to, like, the director who, like, stood in the freezing cold for the longest, you know. It's kind of a stamina award more than it is an actual <laughs> um, meritocratic look at who directed the best film. Right. Yeah, I agree. I think, you know, for sound and for production design and things like that, people often do want to give the award to something like 1917, which has, you know, this incredible sweep that's an epic and obviously has a lot of interesting camera work and, right. you know, this, you know, reputed one shot um, that defines the film. So Right. Yeah. Just following. It's, it's like it's one. It's supposed to look like it's just one long shot. Right. Basically. right. It's edited and shot that way.
Well, thanks so much, and uh, go and uh, check out AJC.com. We'll have... Um, we have stories about where you can go and see the films. Um, we'll have details on the Oscar viewing parties. Um, anything to do with Oscars, you can find it at AJC.com. Let's see what's happening in and around Atlanta over the next 10 days. The Atlanta Jugglers Association brings us the annual Groundhog Day Jugglers Festival from February 7th through February 9th. This relaxed gathering of jugglers and those who like to watch takes place at the Yarub Shrine Center in a festive environment and it's free and open to the public. At the 42nd annual event, spectators can watch the devoted practice their craft while vendor booths peddle juggling supplies and other fun stuff. The public is invited to watch the activities in the gym at any time, but there are no scheduled activities or shows on Friday or Sunday. Admission is free for all daytime events at the Arab Shrine Center, including the competition at 2 p.m. on Saturday, February 8th. But tickets for the Saturday Night Cabaret at 9 p.m. are $10. Registration for participants is $30 for the full weekend. Find out more about the Groundhog Day Jugglers Festival happening February 7th through the 9th at atlantajugglers.org. The Callenwald Artist Market is a winter indoor art festival at Callenwald Fine Arts Center in Atlanta's historic Druid Hills neighborhood, taking place February 7th through the 9th. You'll find more than 70 artists working in a variety of media, with the works on display throughout the 1920 Callenwald Mansion. There will be artists from across the Southeast and from the Callenwald Visual Arts programs. It's the perfect place to find affordable original art, and the works are selected by a jury to ensure high-quality work. Proceeds from the booth fees and tickets support Callenwall Fine Arts Center, a 501c3 nonprofit organization whose mission is to preserve the Callenwall estate and its mission as a participatory arts and cultural organization. The market happens from 10 a.m. to 5 p.m. February 8th and 11 a.m. to 5 p.m. February 9th, and the entry fee is $5. There's also a VIP preview party on Friday, February 7th at 6 p.m., priced at $10. It all takes place at Callenwall Fine Arts Center at 980 Briarcliff Road Northeast. Get tickets and find out more at callenwall.org. If the Super Bowl isn't really your thing, go check out the Bach Bowl. In this annual event, Emory University organist Timothy Albrecht and some of his Emory faculty friends play an hour-long concert of Bach chamber music. It's a touch of culture on a day that's otherwise the domain of gridiron action. And, in truth, there's no reason you can't have it both ways. The Bach Bowl begins at 4 p.m. on February 2nd, which should leave you plenty of time to make it to your couch or the nearest sports bar to catch the game. Best of all, it's free. The Bach Bowl happens at Emerson Concert Hall in the Schwartz Center for Performing Arts on the campus of Emory University. For more info, go to arts.emory.edu. For more things to do in and around Atlanta, go to AJC.com. Our senior editor is Nicole Smith. Podcast edited by Bria Felician. Music by Bo Emerson and Billy Guin. And I'm your host, Shane Harrison. Join us next week for more Access Atlanta.